It's called the black man is God. It's called the black man is God. Next hour. This is for the children. You know what I'm saying? I got this idea from myself, of course. But this is for the children. I got this prediction. This will be the biggest upset in all of fighting history. The easiest fight of my life. You think your cousin can with me? You really do? Anybody on your watch? Anybody in my family? Young, he's handsome. They know it. He's a poet, a prophet. Joel ain't have a daddy. Who would have dreamed he'd carry over to the set? I met Obi as an OG in the section. Nah, I was legend. Recipes pop the legend. Uh huh. Mike Corey and Sean Jordan was the essence of the young chorus where we grew from. Seemed like a second, now they less important to the new sun. I guess today weighs more than yesterday. It's morbid to suggest that they will come for them too. When it's a brother younger than you, who humble and who? Used to coach him, now he coached him, blew up. Who knew? He caught you on a rough night, you were stumbling through. Now he's telling you to get yours, get yours. All of you reporters made it hard on them. Never write about me like him. Never make me feel hard. All right, y'all, it is Wednesday, April 12th of 2023. The Toronto Raptors have just pissed away an epic opportunity to advance to the round in which they would get destroyed by either Milwaukee or Boston. But I guess I guess I guess it'd be Milwaukee actually, I think, right? I don't even know. The playing stuff is weird, y'all, but we're we're monitoring it as best we can. This is why they call it the preseason podcast of the year. We're working our way up to the podcast of the year. But in the meantime, thank you for joining us. It's your man Jay Hicks back with the Hip Hop Sports Report podcast. Um we have a special guest joining us this evening. That would be one uh, that you all are familiar with, friend of show. You may have recognized him from many an article that has been written on Hip Hop Sports Report over the years, many a podcast appearance that he has made, and from Orange and Blueprint podcast fame, the man, the myth, the legend himself, Anthony Houston, is back at you this evening to talk NBA playoffs. My man, Anthony, how you feeling? Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Happy to get on the mic. Let's, uh, Let's get into it. Yeah, let's get into it. Um, yeah, I'm trying to. I'm like literally. I had to take a picture before the the game started just now. So okay, so this was a nine ten matchup. So the the Raptors season just ended. So all them fans that stayed outside the arena, you know what I mean? They all just went home sad, like it was a Maple Leafs game. That's what they typically do up there. They gather for the <laughs> what they call it, Jurassic Square or something, some kind of crap. I don't know what they call it. Um, usually they're losing games in that space when when all those guys go out and stand there. I hope they don't pay for that. But um, but yeah, they all went home sad just now. And uh, the Bulls, I think they were down like a million in the first half, and somehow they won this game. Uh, pretty embarrassing. But now the Bulls will face. Wait a minute. So so they will face the Miami Heat, I guess. So the Hawks are in. No no no. The Hawks are in the seventh slot. The eighth slot is now up for grabs between Miami and Chicago. So they will face Miami for the eighth seed probably in two days. Um, meanwhile, on the West bracket, the Lakers are in the seventh slot. They're going to be taking on the Memphis Grizzlies after they won that dog crap of a basketball game last night. 
And the 9-10 matchup, the Pelicans and the Thunder, is about to take place right now. And then the loser of that game goes home. The winner of that game will play Minnesota for the eighth seed. Do you like the play in Anthony? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's cool. Um, you know, just more, you know, variability at the bottom of the uh, bottom of the map. And, you know, usually a better team typically wins anyway, you know. Uh, so I expect, for example, I expect the Heat to win against the Bulls. And they had two chances to win one. Uh, at that point, you know, win the game you're supposed to win is, is my feeling about it. That's fair. I will say that I believe last year the Cavaliers lost both games and went home. <laughs> so it's not like we haven't seen that before. Um, the Cavs lost. Who did they lose to? I think they lost to Brooklyn in the first game, and in the second game they played the Atlanta Hawks. And Trey Young did the Trey Young on the road thing, and and it was not a good time. If you're a Cavs fan, that is. Um, I don't know, man. Sometimes I don't know. I kind of like the plan. I like that it's different, but you know, it's kind of like much to do about nothing because. In a year like this, in 2023, when there's probably more parity entering the NBA playoffs than I can ever remember, what are the odds that any of these teams are going to be knocking off the higher-seeded teams? Like, at least in the East, like, we know whether it's the Bulls or it's the Heat, like, they're not beating Milwaukee, barring some kind of catastrophic injury to Milwaukee's best player. They're not winning that series. So it's kind of like, you know, they're trying to make it interesting. I guess it helps reduce tanking on some levels as well but I don't know I think it's going to have more it's going to be more fun in the West because I think the Lakers could actually challenge the Grizzlies right I, I mean quite quite frankly I have the Lakers beating the Grizzlies so oh okay I, I right out the gate <laughs> <laughs> Lakers pulling the upset I mean I wasn't going to get to predictions just yet but you know let's let, we could we could just go where the conversation takes us tell us why you have LeBron James's Los Angeles Lakers defeating Ja Guntote Morant's Memphis Grizzlies. Uh, I mean, you know, you're bringing in a couple of big guns to to follow sad sad <laughs> occurrences with the Grizzlies, and, and you can't they can't match it. You know, part of the Grizzlies' mystique is that Ja is amazing, or he's electrifying, but also they're really big and they're really physical. Well, one team has a guy who you can trick him into being big and being good in Anthony Davis. And the other guy they have is LeBron James, who's also big and physical and good. They, the thing, the, the foundation of what the Grizzlies do is negated by the fact that they don't have their full armament of big players. And Jared Jackson Jr. is going to foul out because he fouls all the time, even though he's would be my pick for defensive player of the year. He only plays half of a game and because he's going to be in foul trouble. So I think all that's going to rear its head. Plus, it's the Lakers, so they're going to get calls. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, those big guns that you mentioned. You know you know what's funny? Uh, so I had the, the Lakers game on the other night as they were, were playing Minnesota. And uh, I, I'm looking at the game with my wife, and they put the camera on Anthony Davis. And my wife just says, street clothes. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> right. And I was just like, damn, yo, like, how crazy is it that my wife, who is, you know, she can name, I think, every NBA team, but she's not a fan by any stretch. And yet here she is 
she knows Anthony Davis will be a street close. Like that's what she, she doesn't know him as a former champion. That guy won a national championship in college and an NBA championship, and she doesn't know him for that. She knows him for being Anthony Street Clothes, Data Davis. You know what I'm saying? That's a damn shame. I don't know. So I guess, I, I guess we're in a situation. So like, like you said, with Stephen Adams being out, I feel like that plays a role, and I think he's going to be out the entire series, if I'm not mistaken. Um, that's yeah, a problem. He's yeah, he's done. So I don't even know what's wrong with him, but he's he's done. And that's going to be an issue. The Lakers, you know, he, first of all, who's going to who's going to stop Shannon Sharp from wailing on somebody at courtside? Number one, <laughs> that was <laughs> that was Stephen Adams' main gig, right? But beyond that, they needed his big body in there. He takes up space, and he, I think, kind of allows Jaron Jackson to roam a little bit, much like how Jared Allen allows Evan Mobley to roam on the Cavaliers and things like that, and switch on guys, and you know, come for weak side blocks and stuff like that. Uh, he's not there. So with LeBron's size and strength and, and Anthony Davis's, it does seem like the Grizzlies could be at a disadvantage on the interior. Um, on the other hand, the Lakers kind of suck. So accurate. So I, I guess I'm left to wonder why, why do we think that the fact that they kind of suck is, why is that not going to play into this? Like they looked bad last night the Lakers did like nothing about them was impressive. And this is a Lakers team that everybody has been saying, you know, nobody wants to see them. Like they're going to get in the playoffs and, and, and they can come out the West. They can come out the West, you know? And it's like, yes, I can shut my eyes and envision a scenario in which the Lakers come out the West. I, I get that. But then you watch them play and it's like, this team ain't going nowhere. Right. So I would agree with that as well. I mean, I think they can beat Memphis. I don't think they're going points beyond. Uh, it, it's it's more about this Lakers team beating this Memphis team than it is the quality of the Lakers as you know beaters of the world, so to speak. Well, they don't have to be world beaters just yet, but they do have to beat Memphis in order to beat the world, i.e. win an NBA championship. So, I mean, we'll see, man. Um, where do you come out? Okay, so for those who don't know, Anthony like hates Michael Jordan, so he's always willing to cape up. Hate is such a weak word. Hate is a weak word for for how I feel on Michael Jordan. But okay. yeah, go ahead. How do you how do you um? So what word like properly underscores hate? Like you know what I'm saying? Like what like what's the word that you would use to describe your feelings towards this man? Um. Well, it, it's uh, it's just one four-letter word, but it, <laughs> you, know, you know, hate is fine for the conversation's sake. Yes, I do, in fact, hate Michael Jordan. Um, you my, know, you my, could. Well, I was gonna say my continue. point is is, is just you know you 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 have no issue with with taking the, like LeBron's side in the whole Jordan LeBron debate or goat debate or whatever it is like you happily will cape up for LeBron James in said conversations because you four letter word Michael Jordan you know what I'm saying or whatever like that that's that's kind of on the record I, and I just want to make sure that the public is aware of that sure so like ha, how is this season for LeBron unfolded in your eyes because I I, I don't know I, I find myself equal parts awed and annoyed by LeBron. You know what I mean? Like, like as I've told you many years ago, LeBron's an ass. 
You know, like that was a quote True statement. That I've said to you a long time ago, and you've kind of referred back to over the years. He can be an ass a lot of times, but he's an incredible basketball player, and the guy broke the scoring record. And I don't think like we give enough. Um, I don't think LeBron always gets his flowers, much like Brady, much like Chris Paul, like these old dudes who have been around forever that we kind of have gotten tired of praising over the years. I feel like those guys don't always get their just due. So, for example, I was listening to, I think, another podcast recently, a basketball podcast, and the people were saying something along the lines of like, yeah, LeBron, you know, he, he was wearing down at the end of the Timberwolves game. And, you know, he's he's kind of an effective player. Maybe this is a TV show. I don't know what it was. But they're like, yeah, he's an effective player, like, sometimes. But, you know, he can't carry a squad all the way through to a title at this stage of his career. And maybe that last part is true, Anthony. But when you look at the numbers, like, LeBron is averaging, like, 29.9 points a game and, like, eight boards and eight assists. And he's in his 20th season, and he's 38 years old. Uh, I, too, am 38 years old. And I, I I can barely, like, rake the leaves without it being an issue. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's like, <laughs> like it, it better not rain the day before or else I'm screwed. You know what I'm saying? Like, them leaves get heavy. I got to drag them leaves all the way out to the curb. Hell no. Nah. You know what I'm saying? This guy, LeBron, broke the scoring record, is going to sail past it, and and put it at some ungodly number that nobody's going to reach. And he's and it's not like he you know what I'm saying like crawled across the finish line. He's he's averaging 30 a game right now. And but that's how people talk about him, but then when you hear people talk about like Shea Gilgeous Alexander, it's like man, that SGA is amazing. Like he's one of the best players in the league, like which he is. But it's like why do we talk about him like that but we talk about LeBron like he's not LeBron just because he's old. Like Take his age out of it. He's still averaging like 38 and 7 or whatever it is. I mean, I admit he's not the same guy that he once was, but LeBron's still pretty freaking good, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Part of it is definitely fatigue over just his general general game-breaking, you know, greatness stature. And now it's just, well, there's, there's new guys. But, you know, to critique LeBron a bit. He's, he's an ass. He's a, he's a hog of the limelight. He refuses to let it go. It's, he just, he just won't let it go. We should celebrate to me, um, similar to Brady when Brady and breeze were switching up the touchdown record, it changed every week. So the record itself, the accomplishment didn't mean anything. The accomplishment of the scoring record doesn't mean anything when he's going to score more points. You can't, you can remember, one to two big numbers, you know, it's like a phone number. Now you can remember one to two phone <laughs> numbers, but right. at the end of the day, if it was one phone number at the end of the season, we could remember it say, man, that's a lot of points. Yeah. Yeah. But, but, but we can't live in that world. No, no, I suppose we can't. Um, I, you know, like he, LeBron's remarkable, man. Like, I don't, I don't know. Like, again, he, he's, he's not my favorite player, but once upon a time he was, I, I think I, I, I will stand by this and friend of show, Rob Parks and I have talked about this on many occasions. The most singular spectacular basketball player I think I've ever seen in my life is Oh nine LeBron. And I know people talk about 2013 LeBron as like that being his apex because he averaged like 
whatever he averaged, 27, 8, and 7 for Miami, but he was playing like all-world defense and he was making clutch plays and shots and he led the Heat on the 27-game winning streak. They won the title that year and you know, he was he was shooting close to like he was like shooting fifty nine percent from the floor that season, some ungodly number. Because that was the year he stopped taking threes and his his field goal percentage just went through the roof. And it seemed like he was just kind of playing around with the competition to a large extent. I understand people say that that's like the best version of LeBron. For my money, give me oh nine LeBron, man. I challenge anybody listening to this podcast, just go look up any game of LeBron highlights from the two thousand eight nine season, and you will be gobsmacked like you will just be awestruck watching this dude at his peak physical form which again some may argue that wasn't his peak physical form but i mean damn it if i've never seen nothing like that in my life anthony oh nine lebron (laughs) oh nine lebron that is i mean i've never seen anything like oh nine lebron and and i still haven't like that he was 24 years old and he was on another planet um that was the year that the Cavs lost in the conference finals and LeBron averaged 38, 8, and 8 for the series, and the Cavaliers still couldn't pull it out in against Orlando. Um, breaks my heart as a Cavs fan. But uh, the Lakers, man, I, again, I, I, based on what I've seen most recently from them, I don't know if they can get past Memphis. But Memphis, it's not like they haven't had their issues this season either. And the whole John Morant situation really kind of threw a monkey wrench into their season. Steven Adams' injury doesn't help. Jaron Jackson being a foul machine doesn't help. You'd like to think that Anthony Davis could kind of, you know, take him behind the tool shed. Like, come here, young fella. You know what I'm saying? And, you know, because Jaron Jackson's still like in his third or fourth season. Anthony Davis is like in his 10th. You still think yeah. Anthony Davis, you know, in playoff situations, you typically see guys, you know, they, they big, they big boy, them younger dudes in those kind of situations. And I feel like Anthony Davis, as long as he's not in the street clothes, has the capability to do just that. I don't know if the Lakers have enough shooting ultimately and you know a guy like austin reeves who they keep hyping him up kind of sort of like he's good but he gets he gets the white boy american hype like that that train has left the station right and so absolutely and so you know it's not that he's not good but if he like imagine a good basketball player being american being white and playing for the lakers dog (laughs) (laughs) like like these are levels that only Alex Caruso can talk to us about. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> and God love Alex Caruso. He's a great player. Uh, shout out to to friend of show Kenneth Hicks. But um, you know, like Austin, the, the Austin Reeves thing is like people are like, man, Austin Reeves. Like, what are the Lakers going to pay him in the offseason? It's like I don't know. How about the going rate for like a seventh man? But but no, yeah. he's, he's he's white and American, and he plays for the Lakers, so he's like a borderline all star. He's like Jeremy Lin on steroids. Um, <laughs> just saying but he didn't show up the other night is my point like he did not he was not good in that game against minnesota um and so um yeah i find it funny too that minnesota played the lakers the other night and there was no pat bev to be seen but but somehow pat bev season is going on and and that is a guy that i cannot stand personally is is pat bev but um so just looking at the overall landscape you know we talked a little bit about the 2-7 matchup in the west uh, I guess we might as well stay in the West. The sure. Denver Nuggets were the best team all year, and nobody cares. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me why I should care that the Denver Nuggets were the best team this year. Or maybe I shouldn't. I don't know. Yeah, 
put your care on Layaway. Um, you know, I, I've got them winning reg- in my notes here, Nuggets and six, regardless of opponent. Uh, just because they are, in fact, really, really good. And Jokic is, is incredible. Probably, he's probably an all-time type basketball player to watch, except for he plays in Denver. I, to my last of my knowledge, people in Denver can't even watch their games. And I know I certainly don't watch very many of them. I catch highlight packages, but that guy's amazing. Um, uh, Jamal Murray has been getting better over the course of the year. And, and as much as I think he's a ticking time bomb and likely heir to the street clothes uh, moniker thrown, um, they're uh, tall, light-skinned dude. He's really a really good player, at least on, on offense. Uh, they got a couple of those. Up. They got a couple of those. But I, I think <laughs> I'm pretty certain that you're referring to Michael Porter Jr. Yes, sir, Michael Porter Jr. If his if he doesn't have random back injuries or any any other uh, foolishness, I guess that guy he can he could maybe turn a game for them if everything else were to fail. And I don't think that you'll have that kind of situation. So they're a good team. It, it's um, something that you don't need to care about now because they again Nuggets and six, regardless of playing opponent. But after that, when things get more serious uh, against the Clippers, maybe I think that would be a great matchup that they'll. I would probably take them to win anyway, but you don't need to care because they've been boringly good and overshadowed by the MVP race, to be frank. Yep. Yeah, man. Uh, the the MVP thing is something. <laughs> so, uh, I uh, okay, so let me – I'm going to sidebar real quick and we'll chat MVP and then I'll bring it back to Denver. Um, who would you vote for MVP this year? Giannis. Really? And why is that? Uh, because I'm a simple man. He's the best. Pl- <laughs> to me, he's the best player in the league. He's the, the best team in the, in, in the East. You know, I think they might, they might be the best team in the league, record-wise in the league. I don't remember exactly how that finished out. But, I mean, to me, that's good enough. When it's this tight between Embiid, Jokic, and, and, and Giannis, um, I don't think there's anything Giannis can't do that the other two can do particularly well. So, yeah, I, I would I would go with Giannis. I know he won't win it, but that's who I would go with. So this thing is is very strange. The, the, this whole MVP talk has, has gotten the best of everybody. Part of the problem with the discourse around the MVP award is that it starts in December. And everybody tries to formulate their narratives or kind of get a feel for who's going to do what or who's going to finish where. And... You know, kind of once you stake your claim in December that you're in the mix, then you tend to stay in the mix, barring something unforeseen for the rest of the season. Um, but but that but that's kind of a weird thing because as we saw this year, you need like every drop of data, you need every data point available to you to make an educated decision on something like MVP when we had three candidates that were this awesome. Um here's my here's my kind of thing. Um I, I, I did not think uh, Jokic should have won the last two years, right? So two years ago, I thought Chris Paul, who finished fifth in MVP voting, should have won MVP. Am I a Chris Paul stan? Yes, we know this, okay? But 
I felt like when you join a team that was in the bubble the year before that didn't make the playoffs, they had a nice bubble run. They were undefeated in the bubble but didn't make the playoffs the year before. They add Chris Paul, and all of a sudden they're in the finals, even if you just look at the regular season. They went from not making the playoffs to the second-best record in the NBA, and they finished, I believe, a game behind the Utah Jazz for the best record that season. Typically, when a a guy joins a new team – and and there's that level of impact that gets rewarded by voters. It's part of the reason why Charles Barkley won MVP in 1993. It's part of the reason why Shaquille O'Neal was the runner-up for MVP in 2005. Many people feel like he should have won it that year. A guy joins a new team and that team's record j- jumps through the roof. You you get props for that. Okay, Chris Paul doesn't. And he he only finished fifth. I I didn't understand that. You know what I'm saying? Especially when you consider the way he was carrying them, uh, Phoenix largely in crunch time which is a callback to the uh, Clutch Player of the Year award piece that I wrote out on the website. Go check it out if you haven't had the chance to already. But Paul was exceptional in, in the closing moments that season um, and the following season but and the previous season, actually. But he was the driving force behind Phoenix becoming an also-ran, or what was an also-ran, and then becoming an elite team in the league, which ended up going to the championship. I felt like he should have won that year over Jokic, who had a great statistical season and, and you know, on a team that had some injuries and stuff. Same thing happened the, the next year. He had a great statistical season on a team that had some injuries and stuff, right? But I felt like Embiid should have won last year. So now we're in a situation where everybody feels like they're kind of regretting giving Jokic the trophy the last two years because now if we give us him again, now we're putting him in this rarefied air that we've never seen before since Larry Bird. And so to put Jokic in a class with Larry Bird and Wilt and Russell as far as the only players to ever, ever win three straight MVPs, I don't agree with that. Like, I don't think he deserves to be in that class. Having said that, it seems pretty silly that we collectively as a basketball community have kind of punted on Jokic as the MVP this year. Does it not? Because he's having the best statistical season he's ever had. He had a better season this year than he did the last two years when he won it. The only thing that changed is that the record got better. And the reason the record got better is because the aforementioned Michael Porter Jr. And Jamal Murray, those guys stayed healthy for the most part. Like Murray, I think, was hurt early on. He came back. They both played about 65 games or so. So Denver was healthier this year than they've been in recent years. And as a result, Jokic had more help. They made some nice pieces. Contavious Caldwell-Pope was a a solid, uh, low-key acquisition. And he shot the lights out all year. They uh, had Aaron Gordon on the team for a full season. I don't really care for Aaron Gordon that much, but he had a good year. And so as a result, Denver's winning more games. It seems crazy to me, Anthony, that Jokic is having his best season and the Nuggets are first place in the West and they've been first place in the West from the beginning and now we're not going to give him the award? Because he's not going to win. Embiid's going to win, right? So, like, I just I just think, like, the whole thing has gotten away from everybody. Like, and this is why you really need to pay attention to who you vote for because if you screw it up, you have situations like this. You know what I'm saying? I also think it's funny that Jokic benefits from the fact that he's basically averaged, he averaged a triple-double this year, I believe, at the center spot, mm-hmm. whereas when Russell Westbrook averaged a, tri- a triple-double, people had an issue with it. And Jokic does it. They're ready to hand him three straight MVPs. Like, Russ did it multiple years also. 
But when Russ did it, he only got the MVP for the first year, which I still believe he deserved because in the games in which he won, he did get the triple-double, Oklahoma City's record was off the charts. So they actually needed him to do that, even though they juked the stats a little bit. But now Jokic is averaging a triple-double, and, and people up until March 1st, people were falling all over themselves. They did that straw poll. Jokic was the runaway winner of the straw poll. He had like 70% of the votes. So it, the whole thing is just weird to me. I don't have a problem with Embiid winning it. Um, and I agree with you when you said Giannis is the best player. He is the best player in basketball. So, you know, I don't have a problem with Giannis. But even Giannis didn't even win three straight MVPs. So I don't think anybody's – I think everybody's kind of like, okay, we can't, we can't give it to Jokic. So the fatigue thing – is a real thing. And I'll tell you this, Anthony, and tell me if you agree with me. I feel like Jokic doesn't want to win it. And I feel like Denver doesn't even want it. I feel like the, the conversation has gotten so out of hand. People are bringing race into it. You had Kendrick Perkins and JJ Reddick doing their whole thing about it, which you're probably not even aware of because you're intelligent enough to ignore ESPN and their commentary on this type of thing. But like, like, like that, like it, it got crazy. It got crazy. And so I think to keep expectations down, they're already dealing with the expectations of being the one seed. To keep expectations down, I think Jokic kind of was like, man, F it. Like, I don't even want the damn thing. Like, y'all, let let Embiid have it so I can not have to deal with the weight of being the three-time MVP who might not get out of the second round again. What are your thoughts? It is the simplest solution to all the problems that this has created this season to give Embiid the MVP that he has earned. He's always been amongst the people who should have an MVP. Yes. So yeah, give him the thing, get, get all this over with uh, <laughs> quite, quite frankly, it's probably a double-edged sword for Embiid if they don't start winning uh, playoff series over there in Philly. Um, so, you know, a little bit of a monkey's paw situation kind of thing. But yeah, as far as the basketball populace, uh, you know, basketball industrial complex is concerned, get Embiid the MVP, get this discussion over with, and then now we can move forward with, well, why hasn't Embiid won the championship? Or when is Giannis going to win the championship again? Uh, where's the next great American white boy player going to come from? Where, who's going to win the Austin Reeves award for great American white basketball player? <laughs> all, all those things after, after we get done with this MVP discussion, then we can talk about everything else. So here's, what's funny to me about Denver is that like, I, I, I personally have bought into the notion that Jokic, if he is what, everything that people make him out to be. And he is awesome. But like, if he's everything that people make him out to be, he should have had more playoff success at this point, even despite the injuries that's been, that's besieged his team. If we're going to be putting him in this all time pantheon, multiple MVP, potential three straight MVP type of dude, then I, you know, I don't feel like it's out of the realm of possibility for him to put his team on his back. Like Greg Jennings, and have a little more success. Again, I've told you before, I'm very much down the rabbit hole with with my guys. So I've I've done the Barkley podcast. I've done a lot of stuff on Chris Paul and, and, and Tom Brady and things. Like these are my guys. So I, I I look at things through a very specific prism, you know what I mean? Right or wrong, in terms of like how we judge these guys relative to how how we judge other players relative to how 
those three guys have been judged from what I see, right? And so um, Chris Paul has been maligned for his lack of playoff success for years. And we'll talk about Phoenix in a second, but they the goalpost has been moved for years with him. Like for years, he was the butt of the joke because he couldn't get out of the second round. He couldn't get out of the second round. Well, then he got out of the second round. <laughs> and then and then he got out of the second round again. And then he went to the finals. You know what I'm saying? And then he won a couple of games. So people are still clowning him because he doesn't have a title. But y'all said he couldn't get out of the second round, and he did that. But now I don't hear – y'all not talking about that anymore because nobody gets a trophy for that. So it's just funny how that goalpost gets moved. But Jokic is a guy I, – I don't know if Denver, Denver – they might have been in the conference finals in the bubble, I think, maybe. I think they were. Like, they upset the Clippers, I think, and the Clippers just collapsed all over themselves in the bubble. Um, and I believe Denver lost to the Lakers in the conference finals. But that's as close as Jokic has come. And these last couple of years where people are considering him to be on this all-time level, it's like, what, where has the success been? And it, what's, what's also interesting, too, for me personally is that on the Charles Barkley podcast I did a couple of years ago, I kind of dismissed Nikola Jokic because I didn't feel like at that time in 2020, he was historically on that level to be considered uh, an all-time great player. So even though statistically some of the advanced data suggested that he was, I kind of dismissed him back then. And then all that happened in time since then is he won a bunch of MVPs and stuff. <laughs> so he's awesome. He's clearly great. But I distinctly remember, Anthony, Chris Paul literally playing him off the court in the Suns in four series, right? Everybody talks crap about Chris Paul and what he can't do. He was... The year that I said that he should have won MVP, he went head-to-head with Jokic in the playoffs and thoroughly outplayed him and thoroughly outplayed Denver. He should have won – or well, well, he thoroughly outplayed Denver, and Jokic was so frustrated, he ended up getting a technical and getting kicked out of the fourth game and didn't even finish as the Suns swept the Nuggets out of the playoffs. So I guess you, you've always been one of the most level-headed people that I've ever talked to when it comes to just understanding – the weight of championships and how we value those as fans and observers. So, and you mentioned the point about Embiid in, you know, shouldering some more burden if he does get this MVP award this year, which I think he will. So where do you come out on Jokic as a player having not had the postseason success that maybe his profile would suggest that he should have? Well, I mean, winning is hard. Um, it is. You know. It's so hard. <laughs> Well, like we've talked about offline before, I, I personally don't think there's a title that's harder to win than the Larry O'Brien. You know, with the way Jokic is, he's incredible because he is a giant doing these uh, wing type things. But wings win championships. Centers have not won championships almost our entire lives, well, at least since we were like 10 years old, which was 100 years ago. So it's just, um, you know, I think that he's an incredible player. I think maybe he is limited. I mean, quite frankly, he's also not as great of a defender as Giannis is uh, for another reason why I would pick Giannis over him. But I think there's limitations to what he can do. When you, to me, not to like take shots, but if you tell me Chris Paul played uh, Jokic off the floor, I would think that is what he's supposed to do because you know, Jokic is a center. He's a, he's the literal embodiment of a giant from a child's fairy tale. 
and he's out there guarding Chris Paul at the three-point line. Should He shouldn't be able to do that, and he can't. So it's just a little bit of winning is hard, and the MVP is a regular season award. And, you know, if your second second player is Jamal, Jamal Murray off an ACL that's taken him probably two years to really get back to where he's at now, maybe there's some leeway there. And I think that plays into it more than what we would like to admit because, again, it's difficult to just say winning is hard. And the same guy typically wins a, ta- a championship three or four times over a six-year period. I think to, it might be that. Yeah, to, totally. To, to um, play devil's advocate against myself, part of my argument for why I think Charles Barkley is historically underrated, which I made on the Barkley podcast in May of 2020, go back and check it out, is – I believe that he never had the help that he should have had. So it's easy to sit here and point the finger at the star who didn't get it done. And that's what we always do. And sometimes that's true. But in Barkley's case, like in the 11 years that Charles Barkley was all NBA, he only had a teammate that was all NBA that same season once. Now, I haven't done the full research, Anthony, but I don't think that that's ever been done before. I don't think you can find a single player in NBA history who's been to more all-NBA, who's been an all-NBA selection more times with fewer teammates who were also selected all-NBA in that same year. And so that was part of my argument for Chuck. And so, to again, to kind of balance out what I was even saying before, if Jokic doesn't have his guys... Why shouldn't I and even others cut him a break? You know, like the guys that are out there matter. And if those guys aren't hoopers, then he's not going to win. Like that's pretty much what it boils down to. I do, I do think that um, Michael Porter Jr., who's extremely talented, uh, you know, I, he, he leaves me scratching my head. Like I don't – is he, is he the second best player on the Nuggets? Maybe it's Murray. I don't know. You could make the case for either one. I, I know that Michael Porter and Aaron Gordon have an outsized – responsibility on this team and I really don't trust either one of them so they're gonna have to show me something um in the later rounds I agree Denver's gonna win the first round no matter what but you know once we get into the second round where they would have to play the Clippers hypothetically with Paul George back in the fold or Phoenix now with Kevin Durant in the fold it's going it's going to be a lot tougher and it's going to be a lot more responsibility on the likes of Michael Porter and Aaron Gordon so speaking of the Suns man your thoughts on the Durant trade. You are uh, maybe the only thing that you hate as much as Michael Jordan is the Brooklyn Nets. I don't know. But um, I'm trying to think. What else do you hate? You hate you hate the Chicago Bears. Uh, True. But, but yeah, I'm not sure if you hate the Bears even as much as you hate Jordan or the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, as a diehard Knicks fan that you are. So, uh, Brooklyn is no more. <laughs> <laughs> what we once know, what's, what we once knew, was the Brooklyn Nets has they've disintegrated into the ether, and they are no longer a thing. And uh, not that long ago, they they had Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and James Harden, and they turned that into Ben Simmons and you know some guys who actually play basketball. Uh, so it's not it's not looking great for them but Phoenix obviously uh obtained obtained one of the great players of the generation in Durant so i guess 
I don't know, man. I, I see Phoenix as a juggernaut again. I do. Like, I, and again, I'm, I'm biased in this a little bit, but I, I, I picked Phoenix to come out the West last year. They had the best record in the NBA all season last year. Um, I, I picked them to, I, I think I picked them to come out the West two years ago and they did. And then they, they lost in the finals, even though I picked them and went in the finals. Um, this year, I would not have picked them to do that, but I would have thought that they still had the capability to make a, a, a run as previously constituted with Cam Johnson and Mikhail Bridges and minus Jay Crowder. But what ended up happening is, you know, they, they got off to a rocky start. They had some injuries and they were in the midst of, in the midst of that, that dogfight in the West for those last four or five playoff spots or whatever it turned out to be before they separated themselves once they got KD and, and Booker came back healthy and, and whatnot. So um, I'm looking at Phoenix like, you know, they're 8-0 with Durant. It's a small sample size, but we know what Durant is. Um, contrary to popular belief, Chris Paul is an, is an awesome playoff performer. I think the one time that you can really hold it against him that he didn't come through and he kind of looked bad was this past season, but or, or la- last season, excuse me. But um, but prior to that, he has the reputation of not coming through in the playoffs. I don't think that's true. Uh, Devin Booker, mostly great in the playoffs since he's been there. So do you feel that the lack of cohesion between that group and chemistry with Durant having just got there a week ago is going to prohibit them from advancing deep into the playoffs? No. Um, it. I think that they have enough high-level talent, high-level shot makers, you know, KD, uh, CP3, Devin Booker, they shoot the shot that everyone wants you to take, and they make it well. So that's going to make them hard to be beat. And, uh, you know, I would take take Phoenix over Denver, and I think that would be my Western Conference final if I was to put something out there. But they're on, they're on the um, same side of the bracket, so so they would be in the second round. Oh, I thought they would. No, you know, I, I misread my notes. I got the they're going to beat the Clippers. I got the I got the Suns and seven over the Clippers, including any level of lack of chemistry, lack of reps, so to speak. Um, so I just think that I think they'll be okay just doing the things that they're good at. They may have a depth issue, but I don't think that the Clippers will be able to kind of. Uh, kind of hurt them in that way you know Russell Westbrook probably is going to cost and win Clippers a a pair of games and I think that might be just the you know the margin for error right there talk to me a little bit about depth you mentioned depth and I feel like depth is almost overrated in the playoffs we know everybody's rotations get shorter we know starters play more minutes and we also know that guys that come off the bench, they can get hunted more easily. Um, they can get exposed more easily. But I, I feel like I feel like a lot of times you hear analysts talk about teams' lack of depth. And it's one of those things that they say to make them sound smart, but it's not really that smart. <laughs> Is that Am I crazy? Like, again, I'm not saying that depth plays no role. You know what I'm saying? Because we've seen it play a role but like I would rather have a top heavy team than a super deep team like nine and a half times out of ten so I mean you know when people talk about Phoenix's lack of depth you look at their bench 
it's it's you know Damian Lee, it's Terrence Ross, it's uh, 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 Tory Craig, it's Cameron Payne, it's Bismack Biombo. Like I don't think those are that's a bad bench. Like people talk about Phoenix like they have no depth whatsoever, and I'm like. You know, it's Landry Shamit. Like I'm thinking, like these guys are pretty good players. Like they're they're like good NBA caliber bench players. Like why is it that people talk about Phoenix like they have no depth at all just because their top four guys are awesome? You know what I mean? Like that's kind of what I think it is. That when some teams get top heavy, everybody just assumes that their bench is trash. When in reality, yeah, the bench is gonna fall off by comparison to. They're starters because the starters are amazing with Aiton and Paul and Booker and, and Durant. But and, and by the way, Josh Okogie has been a bright spot, and uh, nobody's talking about him, but he's been very good this year. But um, my point is just that we, when we look at depth and things like that, the depth of Phoenix, you know, the bench relative to the starters, the bench is not going to look good. But you got to compare Phoenix's bench to everybody else's bench, and I don't feel like their bench is at some kind of drastic disadvantage. Do you? So it depends on who who they're being compared to on the other team. So if you are, KD makes it a little bit better for them because he can play big or small. But if you're saying, you know, I'm, I'm going to, the times when KD's out, well, Chris Paul and Booker would be on the floor. So the three other guys don't really matter or they don't matter. But you can have more, uh, you know, floor ceiling space with those other guys i think it kind of plays into it if you're saying that you know for the like for the clippers for example they have you know all of a sudden norman powell can go off on on landry shamit or whomever else and even if it just means that okay that matchup now becomes an area where that's two more fouls picked up in a quarter so you're closer to the penalty i think stuff like that on the margins is where the depth kind of plays in it, it definitely matters on who those people are, but if those people are just better than yours, then they become targets and they become options for uh, causing, you know, disruption in however the ball is moving or, or things like that. So I think there's, it's like I said, it's not everything. It's something, but it's not everything. And I think in some scenarios, it could matter more than others. So I, I will say that maybe it could matter in this series between Phoenix and the Los Angeles Clippers um, because the Clippers were among the league leaders in bench points per game. But to kind of go back to the point that I was making a moment ago, uh, according to stat muse, the top six bench scoring teams in the NBA this season in order, the Indiana Pacers, the San Antonio Spurs, the LA Clippers, the LA Lakers, the Detroit Pistons, and the Utah Jazz. So four of those six teams missed the playoffs. One of those teams was the Lakers, who had to fight and scratch and claw and get a, a Minnesota team collapsing on itself to get into the playoffs. And then the other team is the Clippers. So it's like, you know, I miss me with how important the bench is. I mean, and I'm not talking about you. I'm just talking about, like, the, the people who I see – on TV and stuff, talking this stuff, they always like to point out the bench of a team that's that's not, you know, super impressive or has a bunch of names on it. But it's like, what do you what do you really expect? And how many minutes are those guys going to really play 
on a game-to-game basis in the playoffs when everybody's rotations get shortened and starters play more minutes. So I guess that's kind of where I find myself, you know, being concerned. Um, and not to mention, uh, or not for nothing, the, the Clippers' depth is going to take a hit with Paul George not being on the court for this series. I don't think he's going to play in this series, Anthony. So with Paul George being out, that means guys like Terrence Mann are going to be playing more minutes and going to have a much bigger role, but then that's one less guy off the bench. Or either I don't know if it's going to be Norman Powell or Terrence Mann. I'm not sure which one of those guys comes off the bench traditionally, but one of those swing men is going to be in the game a lot more, and that's production that's now being eroded at. So granted, it helps that the Clippers might be able to sustain an injury like that better than most teams, but when you're going up against a team with the firepower of Phoenix, I don't think it's going to matter. Um, one other thing I wanted to point out, and uh, you know, just just the stand in me would be remiss if I didn't mention this. So Chris Paul, I, I think people are expecting him to be left open a lot <laughs> in these in these playoffs. And again, people have the um the notion that he's not been a great playoff performer, which I think is largely a misnomer. I can't defend what he did to close out the Dallas series last year in the second round. Those five games he he shot 50 percent from the floor but he only took seven shots a game and he averaged nine points six assists and three and a half turnovers per game in the last five games of that series so he was by his standards atrocious last year but in the first eight games of the playoffs last year in the first eight games of the playoffs last year against the Pelicans, who everybody said was giving him problems because Alvarado chased him all over the court and they picked him up full court. Oh, that's how you get to Chris Paul. Like, well, maybe it had an impact on the second series, but it didn't impact him against the Pelicans. In the first eight games of the playoffs last year, Chris Paul, in 36 minutes a game, averaged 22 points, nearly 23 points, 10 assists, four and a half rebounds, a steal and a half, he shot 58% from the floor and 97% from the foul line, and that included that perfect 14-for-14 14 14 road closeout game in round one against the Pelicans, So, which is something that, which is an NBA record, by the way. So, you know, the idea that Chris Paul is, like, on his last leg, not true. And, I, you know, I will say that the guy gets injured a lot in the playoffs, so it's fair to expect it that that would happen. What I would not expect is for him if he's healthy to just fall apart, which is what it seemed like happened last year. I know I'm, I'm can't, I can't wait for the biography on the 2022 Phoenix suns comes out, Anthony, cause I'll read that shit cover to cover. Cause I still haven't gotten a full explanation as to what actually happened to that team. But I digress. All I gotta say is I'm, I'm, I'm a, a Chris Paul, you know, uh, respecter. You, um, good. That's good. I, I respect. I'm a, I'm a Chris Paul respecter. I, I'm not a fan of the smallest guard uh, until you know the way the game kind of changed recently. But traditionally, it's not been my thing. But to your to what you mentioned about him getting hurt a lot. If he gets hurt again this year, especially, he might have to start going by spring clothes because missing out in the play. Playoffs again would be, I think it would just be disastrous for, for him, for, for you, for, <laughs> for Phoenix fans in that order specifically. Um, he just, he, he can't, he, cause he's, he's honestly too good for the amount of injury in the time that he's gotten it, but it's just, he's got to be able to play. He's not going to have 
the excuse like Charles Barkley. You're talking about a guy who's who's uh, never played with uh, another All NBA guy. I don't have it right in front of me, but I think Patrick Ewing is on that list as well. And that stuff matters. You're not supposed to get this many chances with this kind of assistance. So that said, I'm not. I don't think they'll. Win. I think I would pick Milwaukee over them in a finals matchup, but. They they've got a lot going for them, you know. As much as I think that it could, they could have some trouble with the Clippers. I'm expecting them to win. It will just be in six as opposed to to five, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, um, I mean, I think it goes without saying at this point that I would have Phoenix beating the Clippers as well, especially with Paul George being out of the mix. Um, and and you're right, you know, I I may have to to uh, you know, like <laughs> like take some time if. Uh, <laughs> If Chris gets hurt again or if the Suns just collapse again somehow. Um, the craziest part is that I really don't like Kevin Durant <laughs> as a fan. Like, and so much now is riding on that dude for me. You know what I mean? Because Chris, to your point, Chris has not been saddled with the lack of support that Barkley was throughout his career. But Chris's level of support has not been that awesome. Like those New Orleans teams were lean when he was younger. The best teammate he had there was David West. Okay. And then he goes to the Clippers. Best teammate there was Blake Griffin, who was injured like half, like, you know what I'm saying? Like half the time, like when Chris wasn't, was, was not injured, Blake was injured. You know, Blake was, Blake came into the league injured. He missed his whole rookie season with an injury. Blake was never the picture of health, nor was he great in, in crunch time. So if Chris ever got hurt, it was a problem, and all of the crunch time stuff fell to Chris all the time. So that was a problem. And then the next best teammate was who? Like DeAndre Jordan? You know what I mean? Like Jamal Crawford, who never played defense and who also never showed up in the playoffs? Like these the, – the, the Clippers thing, like Lob City probably should have had more success than it did, but they were not – you know, it was, it's not like those were like all-star teams they were trying out. That was not a super team in the era of super teams of the mid-20-teens. Uh, that wasn't one of them. And then he goes mm-hmm. to Houston where his best teammate and probably before he got to Phoenix, the best teammate he ever played with is James Harden. And you already know how I feel about James Harden. <laughs> James Harden is the guy who everybody thinks Chris Paul is when it comes to playoff performance. Everybody thinks Chris Paul is some epic choker. Or no, that's James Harden. And James Harden doesn't have. We'll, we'll we'll save that for another day. You you can go back in the, in the history of this podcast and hear what I feel about James Harden, but James Harden is not him. When you know how to do the capital him, capital H I M, he ain't him. James Harden is not him, and that's who everybody thinks Chris Paul is. And so he has to deal with James Harden's ass in Houston, and then he gets to Phoenix, and his best teammate is Devin Booker, who's very very good, still very very young. Even for his tenure in the league, he was like. He was like 17 when he got drafted or something crazy, like or just turned 18 when he got drafted. Devin Booker's extremely young, and you know it showed when they went to the, on that finals run, where you know people clown Chris for being up 2-0 in the series and losing, but Chris Paul was the best Phoenix Sun in that series by a lot. Like he was clearly better than Devin Booker if you go back and look it up. So, I mean, now he's playing with Durant, who although Durant is quite long in the tooth. It's it's the best teammate he's ever played with. This version of Kevin Durant, as as old as he is, Kevin Durant shot like fifty five percent from the field this year, 
and over 40 from three and over 90 from the foul line. And he played for two different teams. Like even though he didn't play a full season, Kevin Durant was remarkable this year. So this is by far the best player that Chris Paul's ever played with. And to your point, to throw in Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton on top of that, it signals a team that should make a lot of noise. I think the Suns will play the Golden State Warriors in the conference finals. What are your thoughts on the Warriors-Kings series? Because it's an intriguing one. And I don't know. People like the Kings. People like to light the beam and all that. The the Kings are, are fun, um, you know, as a fan of a also a ter- terribly run team, terribly performing team over 20-some-odd years. I'm really happy for them. Um, I think that they've got a lot of good things going for them, but watching them play, you know, against the Knicks or against anyone else, if I can stay up late and watch them, they, they overpower. I think that what they want to do is just – completely outrun and gun you and just do just enough to rebound to keep, you know, serve as defense more or less. And I, and I just don't think that's going to work against a team that is able to score like uh, the Warriors are and probably able to just kind of smarch their way, you know, moxie kind of crap. The, the same type of we're not better than you athletically that they beat the Celtics with last year, I think they can certainly do against this, the Kings in a in a longer series than probably they would like. But I, I would go. I am expecting the the Warriors to to win just because I think you can't go from, uh, or you you can, but it seems unlikely you go from never making the playoffs in most of your players' lifetimes to beating the reigning champs who are also the closest <laughs> thing we've had to a dynasty in. In, in, in years, it just it just does not seem like a good bet. And you have to – in the playoffs, you have to play some defense. And the Kings just don't. And I'm not even sure they're capable, but they don't because they can score so much. And I'm not sure if that's, you know, not a, a – it's a solid – it's worked, but the plan has worked out for them to this point. So I could be eating crow here in a little bit, lighting the beam myself. But, uh, yeah, I'm – the Warriors in six is what I got there. They are like, um, like you said, kind of like the West Coast Knicks. Just like you said, uh, terribly run for years. St- a starved fan base who's really passionate. They have a great point guard who's great in clutch time. And then they have this other big who, I know Julius Randle's not really a big anymore, but like he kind of used to be and still kind of plays that way. And, you have Sabonis as the, his counterpoint in Sacramento. Um, I, I see some similarities between those two franchises, and um, this is the year that they're both looking to make noise. I, I like you, believe that this is probably the worst-case scenario for Sacramento. And maybe, I don't know, people people seem to think that they're, like, because they're so close to Golden State, you know, in, in like, literal physical proximity, that, you know, the rivalry is going to be you know, on tilt and, and the fans are going to be even crazier than they would have been had they been playing any other team. And people have been talking about all year, how atrocious golden state's been on the road. That storyline has been beaten to the dirt. And my thing is if there was one team that you think could overcome the fact that they sucked on the road for six months and turn it on in the playoffs and win a big road game, it's the golden state warriors. And 
The trade-off is that, I mean, they're the sixth seed, right? So they don't stink. The trade-off is that they're very good at home. And yeah. and when you don't have home court advantage in the NBA playoffs, you only got to win one game. You telling me that Golden State can't go into Sacramento and get one? They can go into Sacramento and get one. I have no idea if Sacramento can go into what should be Oakland, but is now San Francisco and get one. Like, I, I don't, I don't believe that necessarily, you know? And so what's also the, what's, what's ill about Sacramento too, is that Mike Brown is their coach and Mike Brown for all I've known him has always been a defensive first guy. And, you know, I think I, I may have told the story before. I don't know if I've ever told it on the podcast, but I, I've actually attended, I've met Mike Brown before. And I've been to a clinic where he was um, teaching other coaches how to coach. It was a coach's clinic led by Mike Brown and his staff. And I sat there and I watched the whole thing. It was like three hours. And when I tell you that Mike Brown knows his defensive basketball, Mike Brown knows his defensive basketball. He came from San Antonio. He spent time in Indiana, I believe, under Rick Carlisle. You know, he had multiple stints with the Cavs, had a short stint with the Lakers, um, and then was Steve Kerr's assistant for many years. Defense was always his calling card. At that coach's clinic, it was three hours long. Anthony, he spent two hours and 50 minutes covering defense. <laughs> and I am, I'm not exaggerating. I, I kid you not. He spent two hours and 50 minutes on defense and 10 minutes on offense. I kid you not. And I left out of there thinking, like, man, that guy is a defensive wizard. And he don't know nothing about offense. <laughs> and so for, for him to now be the captain of this ship that their whole objective is to score 140 points a night and hope that you score 139 is baffling to me. Like, I can't even get my head around it. But here we are. And I feel like the Kings are a great story. They're a lot of fun. And I feel like they would have better luck against almost anybody. Um, maybe, maybe not Phoenix, maybe, maybe not, but Sacramento against the Lakers, the Clippers, the Nuggets, the Grizzlies, the Pelicans or Thunder or whoever else is an eight, whatever, whoever team that is, the, you know, the Timberwolves, whoever it is, any of those teams would have been better than the playing, than playing the reigning defending NBA champion, uh, what four-time champion in the last seven or eight-year Warriors in this first-round series. So I think they're going home. I don't think any. I don't think very many beams will be lit. But um, you know, and that sucks for them. It's just a bad draw at the end of the day. But um, I mean, just to to add in, the Warriors are are doing the late-season edition of Andrew Wiggins. Yes. Who who hasn't who maybe he hasn't played basketball whatever whatever his situation is he's going to be fresher than anybody else and all I need him to do is go out there and slow people down get in front of uh, De'Aaron Fox for a little while slow him down as much as possible snag a board here and there those marginal things that can close that gap from one forty to one thirty nine that's what they need him there for and there's no one more capable to do it or be that frontline defender interrupter than him. And he, like I said, he doesn't have a wear and tear the whole regular season on it for, for better or worse. He's going to be there and he can be an X factor in slowing that down, closing that gap so that it doesn't have to be just on Steph to shoot from, you know, 50 feet all the time. 
you know I like to take victory laps on this podcast, word to nip hustle. Uh I like to take victory laps on this podcast. And and I found myself wanting to take one on on Wiggins. It's so weird because when that draft took place, I, I believe it was a 2014 NBA draft. Wiggins was the number one pick, and I said that the Cavs should have drafted him number one over Joel Embiid, who was also in that draft. And my thing was, and they were actually teammates at Kansas, but my thing was Embiid got the injuries and all that stuff. Wiggins, you know, he's a wing player. He's athletic. He can do this and do that. And Wiggins won Rookie of the Year. Even though he didn't play in Cleveland, he won Rookie of the Year. And I'm like, okay, I was right about that. And no, I was kind of wrong about that because we see how much better Embiid has turned out to be as a professional. But then Wiggins redeemed himself by last year being the second best player on a championship team. And you would take the second best player on a championship team with the number one pick in the draft 10 times out of 10. You know what I'm saying? So it kind of worked out in a weird way. He's really vital to what the Warriors have going on there. If he's not there... They're relying a lot on Gary Payton's boy. They're relying a lot on Draymond Green, who isn't nearly as good as he used to be. Um, still a very good defender. He's, he's getting Defensive Player of the Year votes, so it's not like he's trash by any means, but yet he is kind of trash at the same time. Uh, <laughs> and so, yeah, I mean, he's definitely not half the offensive player he was before, and he wasn't even a good offensive player before. So the Warriors have their stuff that they got to work on, but I don't see this first-round series being a problem. Um, let's jump to the East real quick. We spent a lot of time on the West and that's because the West is far more interesting. <laughs> I think we can all agree about that. Like we don't, we don't have to, um, we don't have to like, you know, whisper about that. Like, I think we all know that the East is not nearly as entertaining. The Sixers play what's left of the Nets in the three, six matchup. The Boston Celtics are going to be playing, uh, your friend, your favorite player, Trey Young and the Atlanta Hawks somehow in, uh, the two, seven matchup. And then the Bucks, the number one overall seed, I believe, they're going to be playing um, the who I guess is going to be the winner between Miami and Chicago now. Right. Um, give me anything out of those three series that you think might be interesting or something to watch out for or something that, you know, is there any inkling of an upset for any of those teams that you can see? So, uh, no. What I will say, <laughs> what I will say is this. I do think that we are um, possibly seeing uh, in Atlanta. I don't think, I think there, there are rumors I saw this week that maybe they might be interested in potentially getting rid of Trey Young, which I think they should do. Cause I don't think you can win anything with him, but that being out there, that's the start of, of trouble for that franchise. I think, cause they, they had that, you know, miracle for them run to the conference finals. They regressed since then. And I I think it's hard to go that high and then go back so quickly with the same people. And they've had all this ownership turnover. Their leadership group has changed. I think the Hawks might be in for if they get, you know, uh, stomped by the Celtics, which, which I kind of would expect. I don't know if that goes over well, even though that whole franchise is, is, is really kind of uh, lackadaisical when it comes to, elite level play for as much attention as I, as, as I kind of feel like they get. So that's kind of interesting. But again, it goes through the, prim- the prism of them losing to, you know, a much better Celtics team 
And then what does that mean for Jalen Brown with the Celtics? So what that kind of, there's off the court kind of things that are interesting about where those two teams are going as they're passing each other, like, you know, two ships in the night. The Hawks, I, I would tend to agree with you that they probably should look to move Trey. It, it sucks if the word got out. That sucks because that's just going to like lower the asking price, right? But I think they could stand to gain to get more back from him if nobody knows that he's available. Uh, you know what I mean? Rather than making it seem like they're desperate to get rid of him. But and 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 one thing that you didn't mention is that they went all in on Dejounte Murray, so they don't even have a lot of assets left to actually get better. If they were looking to keep Trey and DeJounte together and still improve the team. They're probably going to have to move off Clint Capella. They're going to have to move off DeAndre Hunter uh, or Bogey, like the next three best players on the team. Probably like they're going to like all those guys are probably going to have to go somewhere. If, Mm -hmm. if it, if it means improving the Hawks around Trey and DeJounte, I think Trey young, um, you said you can't win with Trey young. I don't think you can win with Trey young as your best player. And as your number one option, if he's your number one scoring option, if he's your this ball dominant dude that's making all the decisions, usage rate through the roof, you know, and he's got all that control. And on top of that, he's, you know, the freaking Grim Reaper to coaches. You know what I'm saying? Just whacking (laughs) coaches like Joe Pesci or something in a mob flick. Like that is a problem. Like he has too, he, he seemingly has too much power in that organization. And for somebody who's not that good. Like, he's good. He puts up numbers, but he's not that good. And it seems like he has too much power. And for him to function the way that he does on the court, play no defense at all, and be annoying off the court to his teammates and coaches, I don't see it working long term. So, yeah, I mean, I would tend to agree that they're going to be undermanned against the Celtics. Uh the Jalen Brown wrinkle is interesting because even Bill Simmons, who's like Celtics fan number one, believes that he's been trying to hint at going to Atlanta as a free agent. Jalen has at some point. And I don't know if that's true, but what I do know is that Jalen Brown hates Boston. <laughs> and so uh, he has very little interest. It seems like sticking there long term, um, rightly or wrongly. Let me ask you this. Do, do you think, that Jalen is, you know, like, I don't know, much has been made about um, Boston as a sports city and just as about being a racist community in general. And I don't know, I don't, I've never been to Boston. I don't really know a lot about it from like firsthand experience, but our favorite comedian, well, my favorite comedian and one of your favorites, Bill Burr is from the area. And he always likes to say that Boston, like, they get a they get a bad rap for being like racist, but like, are they any more racist than any place else? Like, every other city's pretty pretty racist too, you know. Like, I don't like you know is is Boston really that much worse? So like, I don't know. I, I'm I'm I find myself wondering like, how bad is it that Jalen Brown is dealing with this kind of stuff in Boston these days? And maybe you don't have an answer to this, but I'm just kind of thinking out loud. Like, how bad is it that Jalen is dealing with these things in the city of Boston? And does he think that there aren't racist white folks elsewhere? I'm pretty sure Bill Russell would tell him to calm down. But at the same time, I don't think he's necessarily, I mean, his experience. Bill Russell is his or experience. Bill Burr? 
<laughs> you mean Bill Burr would tell him to calm down? No, I do mean Bill Russell. Okay. okay. I'm sure the, the racism Bill Russell dealt with in that city is way worse than what oh, he's well, dealing with. Well, sure. Yeah. yeah. So, that, I mean, it, it's it's kind of in the context of, like, there's a certain element of, you know, social media to his experience. And also the fact, you know, like Simmons talks about on his pod a lot, it's they they have a, they have not stopped rumors or anything about trading him multiple times and he's been vital to their championship failures and you know they they should not treat shouldn't treat your second or third best player on on a finals team that way you know I, I think that's to be miffed at that not to mention you need to be paid so I think you know there's I think he's got. Uh, some righteous, righteous indignation that's well earned, so, and he should definitely blow that team up and go somewhere else. <laughs> Where does Jason Tatum rank on the list of talented dudes that hasn't won a ring? And then everybody starts to do, to do the thing where they question his ability to win. Like where did like how high on the list is he? He's not as high on the list of talented dudes who can't grow facial hair, but it's it's high on that list as well. Yeah, he's uh he's got a nice look. He's got a lot of facial hair, right? And he's got the he, he his beard connects, doesn't it? I think it does, right? No, no, it it's can't. No, I, oh, it, he's no. like me then. Oh God, no, Tatum, no, no, Tatum. I wouldn't wish that on anybody. Oh God, it's the worst. You have a nice, handsome beard, Anthony. I, my beard is not. I've been trying to grow it since COVID, and it's just it's just not coming together. I mean, it's it's better than it ever looked. But that's not saying much. You know what I'm saying? Like, my beard game is as unofficial as it gets. So, <laughs> I, I've now, I, I've always liked Jason Tatum. I've, I've become even more of a fan of him now, as we are now brothers of the same. Because the thing is, is like, the good Lord doesn't bless most men with both. You don't get to have the full beard and the full head of hair. Yeah. You know what percentage of guys get that? Like, any guy that's bald, like completely bald in their 20s and 30s, that guy always has a full beard because I guess it's the testosterone that causes the hair to fall out is what causes the beard to grow. I don't know. But, like, whatever it is, it just works out that way. Like, there's no just hairless men running around. Like, they, those guys don't exist. But if you, if you, but if, but to get both, to strike that balance, like Kyrie has both. Kyrie has a full beard and a full head of hair. And he's had it for a couple of years now. Like, that is, the envy of all men, I think, or at least all black men, anyway. True, indeed. True, indeed. Not I'm to just, get into I mean, I'm, I'm really, really just hating, to be totally frank. Okay. Um, well, but, I mean, that's fine. You know, I'm, I don't know. I'm, 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 I'm with Tatum. I stand with Tatum on this one. <laughs> Tatum is a great basketball player. His time of of getting um, the, t- the tables have not turned on him as they would you know, on probably a normal person, a different player in his, his career trajectory, but he did fade from the MVP. Like that ship is coming uh, or that, uh, that train of criticism is coming for him. I, I would think, but you know, we've only talked about MVP this year. He fell out of that race and, and he hasn't been the unquestioned best player on these championship run teams. So and he's still young. He's got time for everyone to start hating on him. <laughs> right, I think it's, it might be Embiid's time. I think to your earlier point, um, yeah, Embiid and the Sixers. I, I kind of feel bad for Embiid because 
His best teammate is James Harden. So we know how this is going to end. It's not going to end in, in with confetti falling from the sky in Philadelphia. Okay? No. It's, it's, it's not. You know what I'm saying? So I don't know when Philly's going to lose. I would not be shocked if Brooklyn gave them a harder road than what people expect. My man Mikael Bridges has been shining since he went there. Um, I still got love for Cam Johnson. And Cam Thomas is like the second coming of George Gervin some nights. Like, I don't understand it. <laughs> like, he just – like, did you see, like, the last game of the season he scored, like, 47 points or something crazy? Like, that guy, like, you know, he's – one day he's on the bench, the next day he's dropping 50. Like, I don't – whatever. But, like, there's enough talent there in Brooklyn to make Philly think about it maybe. Um, I don't see Philly losing that series. But um, see how far you get in life depending on James Harden to do anything. You know what I mean? I wouldn't count on James Harden to drop me off at the airport. Like <laughs> like like everything like everything about that dude just screams it's not going to come together, you know. And frankly, I'm so anti-Harden that if that guy somehow ever would have win a championship, I might have to stop watching basketball. It's like I'm just going to just call it and be like, "You know what? I can't do this anymore." Because the thing about it is, if he wins, even if he's like the third or fourth option on a team that wins, it's gonna that that ring is gonna vault him ahead of other guys like a Charles Barkley, for instance. People are gonna be like, "Oh, Harden yep. was better than Barkley because he's got a title." It's like, no, he's not. Like that's not how that's supposed to work, you know. So, but even in this case, this is like he's clearly the number two option at best on this team. And what's interesting about Philly is that from the beginning of this season, I've always believed that Maxi is the X factor. It's it's not about Embiid or Harden actually. Because I feel like we know we're going to get from those guys. We know MB is going to be great. We know Harden is going to be great sometimes, but more often than not, he's going to let you down when it, when, he, when he needs to come through. You can bake that into the 76ers playoff experience right now. But what we don't know is how good Tyrese Maxey is going to be. And I feel like his performance is going to be the thing that either catapults Philadelphia or limits and puts a ceiling on what they're able to do. So, as much as it pains me to say this, the the New Jersey Nets are not as terrible as I would hope they would be. New you know, Jersey like you Nets said, Mikel Bridges, Mikel Bridges is he's playing just phenomenal. And a guy you didn't mention earlier is Nick Nick Claxton. Claxton. Yeah, he his just. I mean, he's not come out of nowhere, um, but he's just he's just really good. And it's it's kind of it's tedious how good he can be. Just playing defense and moving around, he's not—he's not Evan Mobley by any means, but he's got that same similar kind of frame and and you know uh, kind of versatility and stuff. So they've got players. If they won two game, got two off of Philly, I wouldn't be shocked. But like you said, Maxi is going to his his ability to kind of take over moments and fill in all the gaps between Harden and Embiid. It's going to be probably too much over the course of the series but yeah the nets aren't aren't going to go away easily and they'll probably better next year uh, uh, you know with a whole season and off season to try and build the team together as they are currently you know constituted if you're a Milwaukee Bucks fan what's keeping you up at night this this postseason uh, celebrating the title? Well, I'm not sure what you mean. 
<laughs> does anything worry you if you're if you're uh, a Bucks supporter? Like, do they have, yeah, do they have right. anything to be concerned about? Like, what is? I mean, because they're yeah. not like the they're not like the overwhelming dominant number one seed that we've seen. They're not the O one Lakers, you know what I'm saying? But like, everybody's picking them to get back to the finals, even though everybody also acknowledges that the East is way tougher than the West, or at least way more reliable. Like the top end of the East is way more reliable than whatever the hell the top end of the West might look like. So, but nobody nobody seems to be. I mean, I'm picking Milwaukee to come out the East, like. Nobody seems to be really phased by any of this. You know what I'm saying? So I guess my question is, what is what is there to be concerned about if you think Milwaukee's the team? Or do they not have I a mean, injury. Injury, obviously. I think the individual greatness of, of the three Phoenix Suns guys, um, I, I don't think that... I think Drew Holiday's probably... Uh, He's uh, he's never going to win the defensive play of the year, but he's got that kind of ability, and that combined with I, you know I personally think that uh, Middleton is is probably a little little underrated as a defender. I think he's pretty good. He's got a nice size to him, and what's his face? That guy who looks like Ted Cruz is really annoying to watch, but he's Grayson Allen. Yes, he he he's awful to watch and just no exists. But you know he's going to help them out in time, and I think they just—they're just a well put together team. They've been there before, and again, they've got the best player who's already won. So he doesn't have any of those mental blocks of not winning things before. You can just go out there and, and dominate. This season, Giannis thirty-one points a game, twelve rebounds, six assists, um, about a block and a steal each. And I think the craziest part of Giannis's numbers is that he only plays 32 minutes a game. I don't know how Milwaukee's mastered having Giannis play so little over the last several years in terms of minutes per game. Like his minutes per game have always been in the low 30s in like the last three or four years. And yet they still dominate. They're still among the league's best teams and they're still not suffering in the standings because of it. Yeah, you know, let's say shout out Brooke Lopez holding down the defense and still being able to hit threes and body borders. Those guys are their role players are much better than we all remember them being whenever they were playing somewhere else. Except Jay Crowder, he's I, I'm still not convinced he's good. <laughs> I mean, what is he averaging? Seven points a game for the Bucks this season. Um, I don't know. He he actually. To his credit, he's actually shot the ball well for Milwaukee. He's only averaging seven points a game, but he's he's shooting forty eight percent from the field and forty three from three. I don't think that's reliable, but he's he's shot the ball well, so I'll give him that. Um, and you're right about Brook Lopez. I think the transformation of Brook Lopez is like one of the great like undersold stories of recent NBA history. Like within like the last five ish years, that dude was as back to the basket of a center as they get when he was with the New Jersey Nets playing in that dump of an arena uh, before they moved to Brooklyn, right? Like he was a classic center in every stretch of the word. And now that guy hits threes with impunity. Like it's crazy. And like you said, he's an elite level defensive player too. And he's not young. Like he's probably 32, 33 Here, Let me see. Actually. He's Roy Hibbert. He's 35. He's 35. Yeah. I thought he was like 33. Yeah, he's 35 years old, and he's completely reinvented his game. 
Yeah, he he was much like a Roy Hibbert or or a Dwight Howard or somebody like that or you know and to to have a guy like that like Al Jefferson imagine Al Jefferson still playing hitting threes like it was nothing like that would be insane to yeah. think and so he's and he and he hasn't really lost a step even at thirty five years of age um, I guess I agree with everything you said about the role guys on this team so like. Beyond Giannis, not that Holiday is like really a role guy because he's better than that. But like Drew Holiday, who's no, who's also not young. Drew Holiday is thirty-two years old and has been in the league somehow for like fourteen years. But um, but Drew Holiday, Brooke Lopez, Middleton, Portis, Allen, Pat Connaughton, Javon Carter, Crowder, Joe Ingles, to name a few. Wes Matthews, like the, like they, they got a squad. Um, minus Giannis's brother, um. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess what concerns me, I think, is Chris Middleton. Chris Middleton was so instrumental in that title run that they had a couple of years ago. Um, he was, you know, in spite of the fact that, like, Giannis had, like, he was clearly the best player. He had the 50-piece nugget in game six to close out the Suns. He made every free throw in that game somehow. He had the you know the 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 lob in game what was it game five when he caught the alley oop at the end of the game, which was amazing, and stared down the camera. He had the great defensive play on DeAndre Ayton, I think, in game six. Like everything Giannis did was spectacular in that series, and yet it was still Chris Middleton who was hitting the biggest shots in the half court at closing time, and he's had some serious injuries he's had to deal with. He only played 33 games this year. He only started 19 of them, playing 24 minutes a game. So if he's not back to what he used to look like, it's a problem. Chris Middleton shot 43% from the field this year and 31% from three. Uh, Compare that to his run a couple of years ago when the Bucs won the championship. He shot 47% from the field and 41% from three. So Middleton's not back yet. And they need no. his offense and they need his shooting in spite of the fact that they, the shooters around Giannis have gotten better. Um, you know, with those, those role guys that I mentioned, those guys have gotten better and they've added more shooting around Giannis. But Middleton is a key piece to what they're doing there. And, I think you could easily say that, you know, Holiday was the second best buck this year. Lopez was third. I don't know who was fourth, but it probably wasn't Chris Middleton. So, like, or maybe it was, but, like, can this team win another title with Chris Middleton going from the second best player to the fourth best player? Uh, I don't know about that. So I guess that's the one thing. But but you don't have them, Boston, or Philly losing, correct, In in the first round? Correct. Well, I guess without further ado, we'll get to what the people have been waiting for on the preseason podcast of the year. Knicks fan Anthony, Cavs fan Justin, they play in the 4-5 matchup. Explain to me, Anthony, why the Knicks will win. Because <laughs> I know you so, believe they will. So I, I've actually I've gone back and forth about it, but this is, this is, to me, easily the most entertaining matchup of the first round. Yep. And I think think that if it, it's going to come down to these two, they're two evenly matched teams in my opinion. Um, 
if, if you're going to if if the rosters stay as they are, meaning Okoro is is hurt, Julius Randle is hurt, I think that opens the door enough for the Knicks to really go in there and and steal some games. Um, I think this team is it is odd as it is to say the Knicks have the playoff experience over the Cavaliers uh, somehow, you know, the Knicks, most of their team was in the playoffs two years ago when they got swept by Trey, not swept, but gentlemen swept by Trey young. And that experience matters. That that's something they don't have to wonder what's, what would it be like in Madison square garden? If it was going nuts in there, or how is it being in the playoffs in a couple of games in a, a hostile arena? You know, that kind of stuff. So I think that matters a little bit. The matchups matter. Um, the Knicks play a kind of basketball that has a ability to minimize mistakes and maximize opportunities to score. And that's going to be crucial when you have Jalen Brunson, who can go off for 50, who has done that in the playoffs. And Quite frankly, if you're able to start the ripple effect of him terrorizing the, the perimeter without a Coro in there, it's going to impact the the Cavs' strength, which is protecting the paint, opening up for other people. You know, my if I had a vote for six man of the year, Emmanuel quickly would get in there and cause problems as well. So it would be a, a thing where I've gone back and forth on it, uh, you know, over time. In this moment, I would put pick Knicks in six, but in the next, I would pick Cavs in six. That's kind of where I'm at. It's very kind of a, a flip of the coin, and especially if Randall comes back, but Okoro doesn't, uh, or vice versa, that would be a huge swing either way. Do Knicks fans feel differently about this team than they did the 2021 team? Absolutely. Absolutely. How, how so? Um, well, the 2021 team starting point guard was a guy named Alfred Payton, who is Ooh. signed a contract to play in Puerto Rico. Oh, <laughs> now Puerto Rico is part of America, kids, but it is also not. <laughs> in case you're wondering, Alfred Payton, he's 29 right now, so he's not even old. <laughs> he's no. just not good. No. <laughs> Way to go, Orlando, making him a lottery pick. Um, yeah, no, that's fair. So I guess what you're saying is the the Knicks faithful are feel like this this current iteration has a lot more promise, given Jalen Brunson has replaced said point guard who shall no longer be named. Uh, it's Jalen Brunson. It's Julius Randle plays a much more efficient style of basketball. And then, um, you know, Mitchell Robinson's back. Our defensive center – uh, we've got better depth on this team than that one did. Some of our younger players are better. Um, so I think it, it's a couple of those things. This team overall is just better from top to bottom, the team that year, even though a lot of the players are the same. They're just, you know, they progressed. What you just described is what every Cavs fan is hoping happens with the Cavaliers. Is that, you know, there's not a lot of chess moves to be made anymore by Kobe Altman because they did go all in on acquiring Donovan Mitchell, who obviously the Knicks were not able to acquire. And that was, was and will continue to be a huge storyline here, but um, the the Cavs are kind of banking on Mitchell staying what he is, and then Garland coming along, 
Mobley coming along. Allen's probably at his ceiling, but if he's able to remain there for a little bit better, for a little while longer, rather. A coral coming along, you know, that sort of thing. So as long as the guys that they have currently continue to improve, which we think they will, people love the future for this Cleveland team. Uh, Evan Mobley kind of got a blessing from Giannis uh, earlier in the year, basically saying, like, yeah, he can be better than me one day. You know, Giannis actually said that about Evan Mobley. Um, Steph Curry said the same thing about Darius Garland two years ago, and that was the year before Garland went up two levels and made the all-star team. And so to have Giannis, you know, anoint the Cavs' promising young big man and Curry anoint the Cavs' promising young point guard – that's pretty awesome if you're a Cavs fan. And that's not and ain't and that ain't even got nothing to do with Donovan Mitchell. So um the future is extremely like infrared laser bright for, for the Cavs, right? But as a terms in terms of this series, maybe you're and I could be wrong about this. I could be proven wrong about this. Maybe you're overvaluing the importance of Isaac Okoro. Um <laughs> just because Isaac uh, so Isaac Okoro's shooting has gotten a lot better the last couple of months, but he has been hurt and there's not really much indication that he's going to be ready for the start of the series, which means the Cavs are going to be down a wing, which is already their thinnest position. So it's going to force JB Bickerstaff to put somebody into the starting lineup that shouldn't be there. His options are Karis Levert, Lamar Stevens, Dean Wade, and uh, Chetty Osmond. I, I, I'm I'm in a minority on this, but I think uh, Chetty should start. Um, That's a minority Cavs opinion. I think so. Huh. They don't really like Chetty that much, and JB definitely don't like Chetty because he's been yo-yoing his ass in and out of the lineup for like three <laughs> years. Chetty will play forty minutes one night and six the next. Like he just yanks him all over the place. I'm serious. He just yanks him all over the place, and so. Um, and, you know, Chetty's inconsistent, so I get it. But, like, there's a lot of inconsistent guys that don't get their minutes yanked around like that. But Chetty's the one guy who JB's plan is to whip him into shape is to just yo-yo his minutes. And so you don't know what Chetty you're going to get. You don't know how much of Chetty you're going to get. Um, but because Chetty runs the floor like Okoro does, because he's actually a better shooter than Okoro, and he's got decent size. He's not a great defender by any stretch, but he's got decent size. And the Cavs are pretty solid defensively elsewhere. I think Chetty's the guy that you bring in. You don't take Levert out of, off the bench. Karis Levert, for what you said about Emmanuel quickly, which is you know accurate, he's probably going to finish either first or second in voting for sixth man of the year. Karis Levert has been stellar of late. So from March 10th through the end of the season, as a 12-game sample, not maybe not a huge sample, but it's a decent sample, I guess. Uh, Karis LeVert averaged 16 points a game with four assists, a little under two steals a game. He shot 54% from the floor and 52% from three. Karis LeVert right now is playing by far the best basketball he's ever played in Cleveland. Last year, he was a bit of a disappointment. Couldn't really find himself. Then he had to deal with all this trade speculation this year. And the Cavs were like, you know, the thinking was, was that the Cavs needed some more size, a better defender and another shooter, uh, a better shooter in that wing position. And Karras, to his credit, knew that he could not grow. 
He could not grow anymore, but he could be a better shooter and he could work harder on defense. And damn it, he's been busting his behind on the defensive end of the floor and his shooting has um, increased uh, to an extreme degree since, you know, last year and then the early part of this year. So assuming he keeps that up, and it's a big assumption because he's a little bit of a wild card himself. But, I mean, Karis LeVert's a dude. He's not no scrub. Like, he averaged 18 a game in Indiana before he came over to Cleveland. He was dropping 40 points multiple times when he was in Brooklyn. Like, Karis LeVert can play. It's just a matter of him taking that same Karis LeVert that we had in Brooklyn and in Indiana and putting him in a Cavs uniform. And that's what we've seen the last month or so. So even with Okoro's absence... I think Levert is going to play a big role in this series. Um, additionally, you know, Donovan Mitchell, uh, he should be first team all NBA. He should get more MVP consideration than what he's getting. Um, I, the NBA, NBA.com did some kind of power poll for MVP. He wasn't even in the top 10. They had guys like Damian Lillard in the top 10 who Damian Lillard's team is like the one of the five worst teams in the league. Granted, they tried to tank towards the end of the year. Portland did. But why is that? It's because they didn't win anything all year. And it wasn't Dame's fault per se, but to have a guy like Mitchell who, once again, like we talked about earlier, this is a guy who joined a new team, and then that team goes up a level. The Cavs were, I believe, the seventh seed in the East last year, made the play-in, lost both games, and finished out of the playoffs. Maybe they were eighth last year. I don't remember what they were. Didn't make the pl- actual playoffs. This year they get Donovan Mitchell, and now they're all the way up to the four seed. They were second in overall net rating for the year. They are first in defensive rating and seventh or eighth in offensive rating. So that is pretty special compared to what I mean, most teams in the league would kill to be top seven in offensive and defensive rating. Top two in, in net rating is really, really impressive. Uh, some critics might point out that they maybe, you know, kind of beat up on inferior opponents and that against the better teams, the Cavaliers didn't look as good. I think there's some truth to that. But what I do know is that Donovan Mitchell is going to show up. And he averaged, or excuse me, he scored 40 points in each of his last four games to end the season. And he's going to be extra motivated playing against New York, playing in MSG and all that. I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility for Donovan to average close to some close to 40 points a game in this series. And that's that may be like a a hot take to some, but I think that that's plausible. Um, and I feel like the Cavs are going to win the series. I think it's probably going to be in seven games, if I had to guess. Um, harder a harder series than most Cavs fans would want to admit that it would be or hope that it would be. But that's kind of how I see it unfolding. I just feel like Donovan Mitchell has been everything that the Cavaliers could have wanted and more. He came in the season immediately and was locked in on the defensive end. He got a lot of criticism for his defense or lack thereof coming into the year. But as it turns out, he was one of the, um, I believe he led all shooting guards in defensive rating for the season. And so, and it, and it, it, it checks out. If you look at how he performed this year on the court, it checks out. He's got the 70 point games, the 70 point game, rather, um, he's got, I think, I think he had 11 or 12 40 point games, which is more than any other Cavalier in history, including LeBron. And basically, Anthony, if you take LeBron out of the equation, I'm not so sure that Donovan Mitchell did not have the single greatest season by a Cavalier ever this year. 
And I say that knowing that Mark Price did make all NBA first team one year in the early 90s. Um, and there's been some other great players. But, I mean, I, I literally think if you remove LeBron's tenure with the Cavs, I think this is probably the greatest season a Cavalier has ever had. And it speaks to how bad the Cavs have been for a long time, but also to how awesome Mitchell has been. Um, but I feel like Knicks fans are kind of like at the point now where they've made peace with the fact that Donovan's not there and they actually are more excited for the current group. Is that accurate? Uh, for the most part. I mean, some, not some, most of the reasons why I, I think the Knicks could win this would not be on the team if Donovan Mitchell was on the team. And I'm, I, at the time I was uh, not convinced that a Mitchell, um, Donovan Mitchell, Jalen Brunson backcourt could work. Um, I'm still, I'm still not, you know, we talked about it the day of once I saw what the deal was for the, for the Cavs, you know, I was totally, you know, uh, more than not more than, but definitely accepting of the Cavs offer and what that meant for your team. And it, it was not a, maybe not in this exact uh, scenario, but you know, I, I wasn't shocked to see that uh, the Cavs and Knicks might meet in the playoffs in the first round. And, you know, here we are. So it, it kind of, it's worked out. I think it's worked out swimmingly for both teams and we'll see, you know, it, it's uh, now it's going to, it, it almost, it feels like it couldn't be any other way than this just to right. get this going, especially with the rather maybe not as on paper, exciting series to go on. So I saw. I don't know if you've seen the schedule. There's two of the. I mean, it's playoffs, so most of the games are going to be in prime time. But there's one on the first. I think the first game in game three of the series, game one at uh, for the Knicks at home. That's going to be at eight thirty on ESPN. So they, they're already planning on there being a lot of hype and excitement going back to New York um, for for game three of the series. And I'm expecting it to go to at least at least six. I wouldn't be surprised about seven and. With the way these two teams are, I'm not, I wouldn't be surprised that this is the first of a couple of meetings of, of Donovan Mitchell-led Cavs versus Jalen Brunson and whomever else comes along led Knicks. Right, right. I think the Randall injury is is a big deal. I mean, he's obviously among one of the best players in this series. And if he's not right or if he's not 100%, then they're going to feel it. You know, I think the Knicks are going to feel it. And, you know... Now, now you're relying a lot on RJ Barrett. You're relying a lot on quickly and you're relying a lot on Brunson who frankly, although he did light up the calves a couple of weeks ago for 48 points. And I mean, when I say he lit them up, he lit their asses up. Um, granted, Okoro and Jared Allen didn't play that day. Um, so calves were not nearly as effective defensively, but he lit them up, but Brunson did not play particularly well in the other games against the Cavs this season. So he didn't, at least he didn't shoot the ball very well. Um, I think the Brunson Garland matchup is, is very intriguing, but I also feel like the Cavs hidden weakness that not too many people talk about is how Darius Garland has kind of been trash in late game situations this year. And the Cavs in general have not been very good in close games, closing out opponents and things like that. It's almost as if the Cavs best bet is to, blow the Knicks out. Like, and if they don't blow the Knicks out, then they're going to struggle to put it together at the end of games. 
J.B. Bickerstaff has made some head-scratching decisions late in games. Darius Garland has made some head-scratching decisions late in games. Donovan Mitchell's shot selection has the propensity to go by the wayside. You know, like you may see him take a, a, a step back three, one step back three too many in a given situation. Um, and so all those things uh, I feel like could rear their ugly head again in this series. But I also wouldn't be shocked if the Cavs won in five, Anthony. Like, I mean, I mean, like, because Evan Mobley's gone up a level, and that dude, watching that dude blossom on in general, but specifically on the defensive end, is a joy. If anybody's been watching and following the Cavs closely, watching that guy, there was a game out in Utah earlier this year. Donovan Mitchell's return to Utah, he scored like 46 points. And the Cavs were battling back against Utah. The Cavs ultimately lost the game on a really bad foul slash call against Karis LeVert on a three-point attempt late in the game. But Evan Mobley, in the fourth quarter of that game, took over the game defensively in a way that I have not seen in a long time. Like, he changed the game with how he was protecting the paint and protecting the rim in the fourth quarter of that game. He's getting some defensive player of the year buzz. He's not going to win the award, but he might finish in second or third place this year. And he's probably got that trophy coming in his future. And that's on top of the fact that he's now averaging like 16 a game on offense. He's dunking everything in sight. He led the league in dunks this year. The Cavs led the league in dunks as a team. Um, the Cavs are kind of a throwback team. They're bigger. They're not a great rebounding team, but they do defend. And, I don't know, man. It's gonna be it's gonna be a fun series. I think the Cavs are gonna win it. I think they are the better team. I think they should win it. But if they lost it, I would not be surprised. I really wouldn't. Um, real quick, Anthony, we got about two minutes left. Give me your um, finals prediction for right now. Bucks over Suns. And seven. Seven. Everybody has that same pick. <laughs> Everybody has the Bucks and the Suns, and most people seem to have the Bucks winning. Uh, here's something. I also have the Bucks and the Suns. <laughs> and you know what? Damn it, I can't shake Chris Paul, so I'm gonna pick the Suns over the Bucks. And which means that I'm invariably rooting for Kevin Durant, which makes me a little sad. But um, as long as Chris Paul gets his ring, and it'll be funny when people try to move the goalpost again and then discredit that and say, "Well, he only won because he got Kevin Durant on this team." It's like, yeah, no shit. That's how every but that's how everybody wins a ring. Like <laughs> Kevin Durant only won his ring because he got Steph Curry. Okay, LeBron only won because he had Dwayne Wade and Kyrie Irving and Anthony Davis. Like, we could do this game all day with everybody that's got championships. So don't try to knock my, my guy because he finally had some decent teammates and then he actually won one. I can, I'm, I'm already prepared for that hypothetical argument to take place. But um, I can't say how great it's been to have you this evening, man. Thank you for your time and your insights. And this was a lot of fun, and we should do it again soon. Absolutely. All right, Let man. I, I will do that. Y'all enjoy the NBA playoffs. We got a mark draft coming soon to ear hole near you. And again, enjoy the NBA playoffs, man. It should be a lot of fun. A lot of parody this year, as I said at the top of the show. So who knows? Maybe it won't be Bucks and Sons. Maybe we'll get freaking Knicks, Knicks and, and Kings. Kings. Knicks and Kings, exactly. <laughs> Jinx. All right. Uh, thank you, Anthony. Uh, y'all know where to get at us. HipHopSportsReport.com. At HHS Report on Twitter. We're on Facebook. You know where to find us. Appreciate y'all for listening. We love y'all. Peace.